Father, we just thank you, Father, for this morning. Once again, O oh Lord, we just want to come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, enable us, Lord, Father, to experience your burden this morning. What is your burden for your people this morning? Father, you heard our worship. You heard our prayer. Father, you heard our song. You heard our praise. And I pray, Lord, even as now we meditate upon your word, I pray, Lord, that everything, oh Lord, will be in accordance to what you want us to hear this at this hour of time. Grant us grace and grant us the anointing, O oh Lord, to hear, to obey, and to live according to your word, O oh Lord, to make course corrections, O oh Lord. Touch, touch me, O oh Lord, touch all of us, O oh Lord, Father. Give me an unction from above, anoint the word, and Lord, everything which is of God, let it stand, and let everything which is of man, let it fall to the ground. Come it, all of us, into your hands. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so we're still in the first month. Uh, just wanted to look at one verse in the light of what we've been listening, you know, hearing in our church uh, over the last few weeks. Let's look at this, um, not verse, but I, one of my favorite songs, and I'm sure when if, every one of you knows this song. It's called, it's called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Everybody, everybody knows that song, right? There's a very interesting stanza, uh, which, you know, the worship leader sometimes sings it the second time. Um, because everybody relates, I believe, sure, for sure, with this particular stanza. It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let that goodness, or thy goodness, some of the translations will say, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Or take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And, and every time the worship leader sings, you know, even if it's any one of us who's leading, no, this particular stanza relates to all of us, right? We look at it and they say, "Yes, Lord, prone to wander." I'm, you know, we sing that song. I am a conqueror. Somebody also asked to write another song. I am a wanderer too. Sometimes, truly, you know, we just wander. We just Go, get diverted from our goal so easily to stay focused for a long periods of time in, in the task that God has uh, entrusted into our hands is not easy. And we just want to fly away. You know, like little children, so when we put, um, what is that, uh, uh, we put constraints on them, they're not very happy about it. They just want to fly away. Uh, they don't want to, especially if you want to come, if you come to our school, one of the things that we constantly struggle with children is to make them sit and study because they want to just Get up and run. And, you know, it's, um, I'm sure all teachers, especially my dad with all his experience, uh, knows what I'm talking about, right? We are all prone to wander. Now, I was just thinking about this message and I was, uh, uh, you know, searching and studying and, and I just came across this, um, small story from a children's storybook way back in 1942. Somebody wrote this. I'm not sure about the author. The story is of the little bunny. Okay, look at how it goes. The little bunny having a conversation with his mother. Okay, once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little one. Then, if you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream, and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, 
I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I will become a rock on a mountain high above you. If you become a rock on a mountain high above me, said his mother, I will be a mountain climber and I will climb for you. It's superb, no? It's remarkable. And look at the next one. It says, if you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I will be a crocus in a hidden garden. What is a crocus? Crocus is a small little flower, okay? Um, so spring flower. It's very, very small and it's not, it's kind of oblivious. It's, you have to search for it. Okay, I will become a crocus in a hidden garden. Not only a crocus in a garden, a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I will be a gardener and I'll find for you. If you are a gardener and find me, said the bunny, I will become a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you will come home to. Super, no? Amazing, no? And then he says, if you become a tree, said the little bunny, I will become a little sailboat and I will sail away from you. If you become a sailboat and sail away from me, said his mother, I will become the wind and blow you where I want you to go. Okay. If you become the wind, said the little bunny, I will join the circus and fly away on a f- flying trapeze. You know that trapeze? Those guys do somersaults. If you, if you go, if you go flying on a flying trapeze, said his mother, I will be a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air for you. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air for me, said the little bunny, I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the little, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shucks! <laughs> That's my language. Said the bunny, I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot. Said the mother bunny. You know, when I look at, looked at that, I said, boy, how did you, aren't, aren't we all like that? Just wanting to do our own. I mean, we, we know that we want to do God's work, but we want to do it the way we want to do it. We want to do it in our time. We want to do it our way. Then we want to success our way. And, 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 you know, and if, you, if, that, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to fly away. See? One of the things that you need to understand is God is not just interested in the ministry that we do. He's, God is interested in us, in us. He's interested in what we become. The vessel is more important to God than the work. If the vessel is not clean, the work doesn't make any sense. At least to us, it doesn't. So one of the things that we need to understand, therefore, we are prone to wander. And even as we heard, right, we need to come back to the basics. Should we should always come back to the place where God wants us to be and to be at a place where we can meet God. You know, see, God is more interested in meeting us than we meeting him. It says in the book of um, um, Romans chapter 5, he says when we were enemies of God. See, I mean, remember Martin Luther? They asked him this question. They said, do you love this God? He said, love him. I hate him. You see, I mean, we are all God haters by default. We don't want anybody looking at us and constantly keeping a, keeping a watch on us. But that's not who our God is. It is, it was God who came in search of Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. So we need to always come back to the place. That's what we heard. No, the foundation principles, the foundations, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
come back to the place where we can meet God, find God, and be at that place where He can work in us and work through us every day of our lives. So what is that one place that we need to come back to? Okay, that is something which you want to look at, no? What is that one place, and we heard the song this morning, we heard about worship and sacrifice and oh, you are the, you are not a God and you know, so many, so many songs that we sang, you know. Uh, sometimes we don't really mean those songs, do, do we? I don't know. You know, A.W. Tozer was the one who said, made a very powerful statement. He said, Christians don't speak lies, they sing lies. It's true. Our lie is a song. Sometimes, right? So how do we, where do we come back to therefore? What is the place that we should come back to every day of our lives? Just not one day. Every day of our lives so that we can meet God and God can meet us. That is what is the focus of today's message and I'm going to title it later, but let the title evolve, okay? It's like a non-linear story, alright? Okay, let's move on. Ezra chapter 3. Where should we come back to? And this is verse 1 onwards. Ezra chapter 3 verse 1 onwards. And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Joshua, the son of Jazadek, and his brethren, the priests, okay, the children of Israel, okay? The children of Israel gathered together as one man, right? Then Joshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Well, I just want to give you a brief uh, background as to what is going on over here after the Israelites are taken to captivity. 70 years of captivity is over and then after 70 years, Daniel initiates the whole uh, exodus, if you will, from Babylon back to Jerusalem. It's not exodus from Egypt into the promised land. It is from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Daniel initiates with his fast and his, and his repentance. He prays and he repents and after that, because he prays according to the word of God as it is written in the prophet Jeremiah and he prays and then there's an entire galvanization of, of a, a movement, if you will, from Babylon to Jerusalem. And um, and of course it starts off with this King Cyrus who who decrees, makes this decree saying that all the Jews let them go back uh, and build uh, the, the temple. This very interesting word called one man to Jerusalem. You see, you see you know, Zach Poonen, brother Zach Poonen, he preached a series of sermons called Movement from Jerusalem to from Babylon to Jerusalem. And in that he makes a very interesting observation. He says, if you look at the Exodus from Jerusalem, sorry, from Exodus, sorry, from Egypt to Promised Land, you'll see many signs and wonders and miracles and all kinds of fire and brimstone happening. Yeah? And that is how Exodus happens. It was like, Boom, boom, boom. Ten plagues and one shot the entire army of, uh, of, of Egypt is wiped out in the, in the Red Sea. Miracles after miracles, pillar by day, pillar of uh, fire by, uh, of, of fire by night and cloud by day and you have this awesome, awesome miracles taking place and that is how the children of Israel were brought into the promised land. Forty years, albeit it took, but they entered into the promised land with signs and wonders and miracles. But then, the exodus from Babylon to Jerusalem is very interesting. No signs, no wonders, no miracles. It's a sovereign work of God in the hearts of people. 
And one of the things that Moses could never achieve was to make those people into one man. They were all people who wanted to rebel. Okay. Never could he achieve this one man thing. The children of Israel were, remained as children of Israel. Fighting always, rebelling and asking for stupid things through the wilderness. But what happened when the exodus from Babylon to Jerusalem took place, there was one thing, that remarkable thing that the Spirit, Holy Spirit could achieve was he could achieve unity among those brothers. And they came to Jerusalem as one man and started building Jerusalem again, the temple again. And this is remarkable. I mean, this is exactly what you see in the book of Acts chapter 2. You will see that. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Remember that? One accord in one place. The disciples fighting, who's going to sit on your right, who's going to sit on your left, who's the greatest, etc. They forgot everything. Okay. Everybody forgot their differences and they came together and they were in one accord and in one place. And the reason why the church was so powerful was because everybody was united with in purpose and in truth and in vision. Nobody was seeking their own. Everybody was in one accord and in one place. And you will see through the book of Acts, I mean, yesterday pastor was talking to the pastors and when he, when we, and he, when he was telling them, he says, you know, when uh, we read the book of Acts, sometimes as believers we long, Lord, let us go back to those days when the church was full of fire. Why were they on fire? Because they were all in one accord in one place. But how did God achieve that? For what, how three and a half years he literally invested in their lives, but he couldn't, I mean, he prepared their hearts. But on the day of Pentecost, they became one. Yeah? And that is how the church starts. You'll see that. Again, this uh, Acts 1, 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 2, 46. So continuing daily in one accord. You see that? The word one accord coming all the time. Acts 4, 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with what? One accord. One accord. And again, this is what uh, uh, Paul tells the Roman church. He's, this is what he says in Romans chapter 15 verses 5 and 6. He says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be in one accord. One of the most difficult things to achieve in, in believers to be in one accord. So this is what happens and uh, uh, in the the Exodus from Jerusalem to um, Babylon to Jerusalem, the the people come together as one man and start building the temple. So let's go back to Ezra chapter 1 verse 5. How did this happen? How did these people become one? It says in Ezra chapter 5, 1 verse 5, Then the heads of the father's house of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites with with all whose spirits God had moved. You see that? God stirred up those spirits. Arose to go and built the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. You see. It means, does it mean that God does, does only chooses a few and does not choose the others? No. A set of people who said, Lord, our focus is Jerusalem, not our own lives. Like Sister Rama was praying. She said, Lord, let us not be focused on ourselves. Prayer request, Lord, let us not be focused on ourselves. That's an attitude. Right? That is how the Spirit of God could move in their lives. And when they 
When the spirit of God could move in their lives, they forgot about their positions, they didn't, they didn't talk about any of those things, they came together as one man. That's how Ezra chapter 3 starts. They came together as one man. And when they came back, what did they do first? Is what I want to look at today. What did they do first? Let's read that. And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, and the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem, then Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose, and what did they do first? They built the altar of the God of Israel. The first thing they do, they build the altar of the God of Israel. See the specifics. It doesn't say they built the altar. No, 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 no. They didn't say they built the altar of God. No, no, no. It says they built the altar of the God of Israel. The first thing they did, they came back to the place of sacrifice, the altar. Altar of the God of Israel. And what did they do? To offer what? Burnt offerings. as And how did they offer those burnt offerings? As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then what happened? Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altars on its basis and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening burnt offerings. That is the reason why Spurgeon has a very interesting devotion. It's called Spurgeon, morning, evening. That's Pastor James keeps sending us sometimes those devotions in the evening. Spurgeon, morning, Spurgeon, evening. Morning and evening and sometimes evening sins. I mean, if you've read the last uh, devotion that Pastor sent, be careful about those evening sins. What, what did they build first? What did they come back to first? They came back, not start, they didn't start building the temple first. No, they came back to the altar. And today we want to talk about the altar. The altar of God. What does this altar signify? What is the significance of this altar in our lives? And how is it, why is it so important that we build altars in our own lives? And we should have an altar where we always come back to and don't want to run away like that little bunny. Where we can meet God. You know something very interesting? It's God who draws people back to their altars. But if you don't have one, where will he draw you to? Right? So let's look at the altar first. The altar. What is it called? It is the altar. The word, the Hebrew word. I don't want to go into the details of the Hebrew. The altar is a place of slaughter. Always. Some animal is killed over there. What is it? It's a place of sacrifice. That which is placed on the altar cannot be taken back. Once it's there, you cannot take it back. Alright. Then, very specific, it's the altar of God. Okay, It's just not any other altar, it's the altar of God, meaning it's the altar that you have to prepare in your life according to God's specifications, not any altar that you that comes to your mind. It's very important for us to understand this. See, people just don't make altars, everything has to be done. Worship, as we uh, heard this morning, worship is, see, a lifestyle, right? We want to worship God in all these areas. We want to worship God. But we have to worship God in the way God wants us to worship Him. That is the reason why He tells in, tells the, tells the Samaritan woman, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
Because God is seeking for such, Father is seeking as such, such as those to worship, to worship Him. See, therefore, the altar is important. So this altar has to be prepared in our lives in the way that God wants us to prepare. We have to worship God in the way God wants us to worship Him. That is the reason why when David tried to worship God in this Philistine ways, he was judged. And to whom much is given, much will be required. Okay, so let's move on. So, how do we build the altar of God? Where do we find in the scripture the specifications as to how to build God's altar in our lives? Look at that. This is what I call the law of the altar. And it is found in Exodus 20 after the 10th commandment. Okay, after the 10th commandment. Look at what it says. Verse 18 onwards. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar, afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. Then Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you. Can you imagine this? Do not fear, but fear. Kya baat hai? Do not fear, but fear. You know, let me tell you something. Sometimes we get prayer requests, no? Lord, I want to have an intimate walk with you. I want to walk with you intimately. I want to know you as my friend. And some of our songs we say, I am a friend of God. We don't know what we are actually singing. See, we, there's a chocolate, I think uh, Kevin De Jong made this statement. There's a chocolate called trifle. Chocolate trifle? Trifle, yeah. But God, you cannot trifle with him. He's not, a, he's not a chocolate that you can enjoy. No, 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 no. You know, scripture is very, very clear. If you walk with God, boss, intimate walk with God is going to demand a lot from us. I want to walk with God intimately. Really? If you know him, you will actually run away from him. That's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Boy, Moses, sorry boss. We want to run away from him. And exactly what God said. That's right. When you look at me, you look at my holiness, you would, you would feel like running away from him. Let me tell you something. Do not fear. That's his goodness. But fear, that's his severity. Romans 11, 22. Easy to remember. 11 times 2? 22. Okay. <laughs> you see, sometimes the verses in the Bible are very interesting, okay? You see all the 316s, they are consistent. Some, one time I want to actually preach a message called 316. There's John 316, 1 John 316, 1 Timothy 316, 2 Timothy 316, Colossians 316, Ephesians 316. You just read the 316s of the Bible. Okay. I mean, they, 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 how many of you know Srinivasan Ramanujan? Ramanujan, you know Ramanujan? He's an expert in number theory. Okay, of course, people from Tamil Nadu will definitely know. Yeah. So, Srinivasan Abhajan is, is an expert in number theory. He looks at numbers and he tells the relationships. For example, if he looks at a number in a car, you will say, that is the smallest number who's got the sum of three squares. And one mathematician said this. He said, it's as if Ramanujan has a relationship with numbers. Oh, number one, how do you feel this morning? <laughs> number two, and they, he had relation, I mean, this is remarkable, okay? If you seek the Bible, you will find a lot of patterns which you can use to remember. 11 times 2, 22. Okay, so Romans 11, 22, what does it say? Consider the goodness of God 
and consider his severity. You really want to enjoy an intimate walk with God? Instead of more of his severity, first. Okay? And then you will be able to appreciate his goodness. Okay? You cannot appreciate the good. God is good. How do you know? How do you know God is good? You know, one man of God put it very interesting. What does it mean to have peace with God? It's like this, no? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How do you understand this? And he gives this very interesting example. He says, he was driving on the streets of uh, Hyderabad to meet his friend. Going on a scooter. And even as he was going on a scooter, uh, it was a Muslim locality. Okay, in Hyderabad. You know, Barkas and all these Charminar places. Narrow, narrow gullies. And he was going on his bike. His, his friend was staying there. And suddenly what happened, a boy was approaching his friend's home. A boy just ran across the street, right opposite to his bike. And he almost banged into him. And he came to a screeching halt. And before, because it's a Muslim locality, right? Sorry, Sajid is not his name. Okay. So in, in some, some places here in Hyderabad, the first they will slap you and then they will talk. So before, before people could react, you know what he did? He said, hey! to the boy. Okay. And suddenly his friend appeared from the door and he said, hey, that's my son. Oh! Your son and his hand came down. You know what he said? That's exactly how God looks at it. He looks at it and he says, Vijay! And he looks at Jesus, oh. <laughs> Amazing, right? You see, beautiful. You'll never forget justification now. Vijay! And suddenly he looks at Jesus, okay, fine, no problem. Okay, accepted. See, therefore, see, we can never appreciate God's goodness unless and until we know God's severity. You see? So, you know, you want to have an intimate relationship with God, boss, build the altar, but before you build the altar, know these things about God, that He is a God who is good and He is a God who is severe. He is righteous, He is holy. And look at what it says, and this is, Jesus, right? Tell me, who had the most intimate relationship with God? Jesus. Okay. I mean, come on. From eternity, from all through eternity, they were having the most intimate relationship. And when he came on earth, how? what kind of a relationship did he had? He also had, continued to have an intimate relationship. But you know what? What was that intimate relationship based upon? It was based upon this one principle. It's found in Isaiah chapter 11. It says, and the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Verse 2 onwards. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and mind, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is where? In the fear of the Lord. He feared the Lord. And therefore he, God the Son, feared God the Father. And therefore he could have an intimate relationship. And he had this assurance, Lord, whatever I ask you, hear me and you give it to me. You know why? Because I have an intimate relationship with you. I have an intimate relationship with you because I fear you. Hebrews chapter 5. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, was able to, who was able to save him from death and was hurt because of his what? Godly fear. He feared God and therefore he had an intimate relationship with him. And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, do you know if you have a genuine fear of God? Do you have the fear of God? Some, somebody's prayer request this morning. Lord, grant me the gift of the fear of the Lord. Really? Boss, you need to seek for it. You can do your homework. Go go to Proverbs chapter 2. How to gain the fear of God. 
Six things you need to do. Six uh, for other four pairs of things or eight things. I'm not sure. Three pairs of things or four pairs of things that you need to do in order to get the fear of God. Not even get the fear to know the fear of God. It's not easy. Unless we have the fear of God, unless we know Him, what is the beginning of wisdom? What is the foundation of wisdom? The fear of God is the beginning of of, uh, of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That is uh, nine ten. Proverbs nine verse ten. Easy, right? Nine ten. Yeah, and then Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see that? So the first step, the foundation to know and to have an intimate relationship, when you want to, that is the place where God meets us at the altar. To have an intimate relationship with, with Him, we need to understand the severity of God, and we also have to have an understanding of the goodness of God. Otherwise, we all have false fears of God. Okay, look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 29. Jesus quotes this in a different context uh, in, in Matthew chapter 15. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips and have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me. You see that? Is taught by the commandments of men. What is a fear? How, what is the kind of fear of God that people teach nowadays is that if you don't come to our church, you will go to hell. You will not go to hell if you don't come to church. You will go to hell if you are not born again. So in order to be born again, you can come to church. But if you just come to church, you will not, not end up in hell. You could well end up in hell with all your theological knowledge. See that? So lots of false fears of God unless you give to my ministry. I mean, some, some, some preachers... They, they go crazy on the, on the television. They say, the curse of the Lord will be upon those people who will not bless my ministry. Oh? False fear of God. If you judge me. All false fear of God. False fear of God. That is intimidation. That is what is called witchcraft. If, there, if there is manipulation and if there is intimidation, it is not the fear of God, it is witchcraft. And God doesn't do that. You see? God is not at saddest. Okay. So that's one of the laws of the altar. The law, the first law of the altar is to, is for us to understand the fear of God, the goodness of God and the severity of God. Unless we understand that, we have not come to the beginning of building our lives back again. Okay. See, that is the reason why our repentance is never genuine. We cry. You know why most of the times we cry? It is not because we are sorry for our sin. It is because of the consequences for our sin. No, 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 no. There is no karma. See? That is, that is all false repentance. That is the reason it says godly sorrow leads us to repentance. You see? Okay. So, understand the first principle of the altar. Understand the genuine. Lord, grant me this year a genuine fear. Genuine fear that I will take you at your word. You mean what you say and say what you mean. You are not going to change your law for me. You didn't change your law for your own son. How about me? If just because I'm a preacher, no, he's not going to change. In fact, he's going to be more strict with me than you. You're actually safe. You see, when you're pushed to full-time ministry and especially to the ministry of teaching, one of the things I wanted to run away from was from the ministry of teaching because I knew James chapter 2 very well. James chapter 3 very well. Okay. Let... And everybody used to call me a teacher. I said, no, no, no. I'm only sharing the word. I'm not teaching. <laughs> okay. It's safe, no? I'm only sharing. Only share. 
If you're really not called to teach, don't teach and establish doctrine in somebody else's life. Don't become nosy rosy. Okay, I'll talk about that later. So the altar of the, the altar of the Lord is important. So fear of the Lord is important. The first principle is know that God is a severe God and God is a good God. Second, then the Lord said to Moses, that you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from, from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. You know what Priyanka was praying during our worship? He said, Lord, we cast down every idol. You know, one of the second things you need to understand when you come to the altar is God does not like competition. No competition. You know, one man of God was teaching in a apologetic seminar after, and he was preaching that Jesus is the only way. And there was this uh, lady from another background. She came to the man of God and she said, she said, you Christians are very narrow-minded. I said, what do you mean narrow-minded? You are saying there is only one God. We believe all gods are equal. We can believe any, any God. Why do you keep saying like that? You are so narrow-minded. Uh, you know, this man learned the Jewish way of answering questions. Hmm? How do you answer a question? With a question. Okay, you are all apologists now. Very good. So he asked this question. He said, Madam, are you married? She, she said, uh, yes, I'm married. No, no, she, uh, she said, no, 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 uh, I'm not yet married. I'm, fi- I'm finishing my studies. Uh, okay, you're not married. So you, you hope to get married? Yeah, of course, I hope to get married. Okay, good. Just imagine on the night that you got married, your husband comes to you and says, you are also my wife. How would you feel? Everybody is looking at me like that, no? Apucharam, apucharam, yo, yo. She says, of course, how can that happen? No, you being a normal human being will desire that your husband should be only devoted to you and have no other gods. You are expecting that God who is the only God will love competition. Huh? Just imagine. Your father is dead. And you put a picture. And suddenly somebody stole that picture. And you didn't have any other picture. So you do you go to your neighbor's house and steal the picture of the other father and say, all fathers are the same. His father, my father, his husband, all husbands. No! No, the point is this, of course, that's the lady who came from the other background. What about believers? <laughs> do, we have, do we have competing desires that God is competing with some desire in us? The second law of the altar. God does not like competition. No competition, please. Soul devotion, mine. What is the first commandment? Is always the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The Lord your God is one. No other gods. See that? So, think about it. Think about it. I mean, and so you say, no, 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 I only worship Jesus. Jesus is the only person in my heart. Really? Let me see how James puts this in context. Adulterers and adulteresses. He got the gender right. 
you know, <laughs> he doesn't get them and say, you adulterous people. No. Adulterers, adulterers, male, adulteresses. Because we have male gods and female gods. You see? Competition. For male god meaning what? His career is his god. Somebody made a very interesting statement. He said, when a man has an ambition, okay, in his life, when a man has an ambition in his life, and suddenly he falls in love, it's very cinematic, but man has an ambition, he wants to become something, he suddenly falls in love. You know what he does? He stops everything, conquers his love, acquires her, and again, pursues the ambition. <laughs> it doesn't stop there. You see, what we are doing is that. We have so many people. We are crowding our hearts with so many des- desires. And our heart is not solely for God. Think about it. This one week, how much of our thoughts were occupied by God? How much of our thoughts were occupied by God? Lord, I love you. Really? You are not a God who is created by human hands, etc. We sang. That's what we sang. Maybe sometimes you are singing lies. I don't know. You are God alone before time began. You are God on your throne, etc., etc., etc. Really? Easy. Okay, forget about the throne in heaven. Easy in the throne of your heart. Ask you this question. God doesn't like competition. That's the second law of the altar. First law. What is the first law? Know the goodness of God. Know the severity of God. Second law. God doesn't like competition. Whole heart, soul, mind, body is his. Second law. Third. That's the reason why he says, the spirit dwells in us, yearns what? Jealously. Jealousy is allowed in a marriage. I remember once Pastor James teaching in the Romans Bible study, okay. <laughs> One sister was there and her husband was there. Okay. She looked at, I'm just giving an example. She said, uh, brother, sister, sister, I'm just giving an example. What if your husband says, uh, six days I will be with you. One day only with my girlfriend. Is it okay with you? Not okay, right? I'm, I'm not looking at you. I'm just, just giving an example. Okay. Okay. No, 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 no. She looked at the husband. No, 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 no. No way. Only one day. Only one day. No, just leave him alone on one day. Human relationships, we are so jealous. How much God is jealous for his church. That is the reason why it says he's a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation. You know why? Because he doesn't like competition. He loves us with a passionate love. Doesn't like competition. Alright, that is the reason why the story of Eric Little is so powerful, isn't it? Why is he so powerful? Because he said, God is first in my life. I will honor God. My, my gold medal, my hundred meters dash is not important to me. He is first. And those God, those who will honor God, God will also honor. Easy to remember. One, two, three, zero. Say that. One, two, three, zero. First Samuel chapter two, verse thirty. See how nicely mathematics is coming? All, we have one Srinivasan Ramanujan here also. So, just kidding. The spirit who dwells in us yearns intensely, jealously. Okay, let's move on. The second law of the altar we know. 
And the third law, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name. I will come to you and I will bless you. What kind of an altar should it be? It should be an altar of earth. Matlab, mitti ka hona chahiye. What does it signify? It signifies simplicity. Don't show off before God. Don't pretend what you're not. Be simple. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12. This is powerful. It says, for our boasting is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the word in what? Simplicity. Simplicity. Think about it, saints. Are we simple? Are we try to show what we are not? We're simple in our behavior, simple in our talking, simple in our dressing, simple in the way we do things. Is there a desire in us to attract attention to ourselves? The question. You know, when Jesus would do something, nobody would even know he did it. He healed somebody and he disappeared. Who healed you? <laughs> Miracle happened over here. Who healed you? I don't know. I don't know. Simplicity. Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. See that? What is, what is this? What does it signify? When you come to the altar, just sing the song. Just as I am, without one plea, I come to thee. No pretense, Lord. Nothing. Just as I am, I come to you. I don't want to pretend. God hates pretense. Let your life be be without pretense. Come just as you are. That is the third law of the altar. So what is the first law? Repeat after me. Let me see. First law, consider the goodness of God and the severity. Second law, no competition. Third, come with simplicity. That's what the altar signifies. That's the altar of God. That is what the altar of God signifies. Fourth, I mean, let's move on and see a few other verses about simplicity. How do we know that we are simple people? That we are sincere people. That's what simplicity means. Simplicity is uh, another uh, word for simple, uh, sincerity. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5, bond servants. How many bond servants here in the house of the Lord? We are no bond servants. Okay, software engineers. Sorry. <laughs> or any other worker now. Okay. Even doctors. Okay. My goodness, you know doctors. If you are in a corporate hospital, he will tell us. You have to get an N number of cases in a, in a, in a, in a month or a week. Both, you are a bond servant only, almost. Unless, of course, you have your own hospital. Then you will make others bond servants. Okay, that's okay. Uh, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Boy, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Colossians 3.22 Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of hearts. This is what we call as simplicity. Sincerity. You know, no pretense. If you didn't get a result, sir, I didn't get it. Simple. We will try. Don't try to manipulate when you are writing a research paper. Oh, you should see what your professors will tell you. Vijay, why do you want to say, put it under the carpet. They will use, use it, we will shove all these things under the carpet. And we will use some good language to, you know, to camouflage our stupidity. 
And you know what? If you are a child of God, you know what, what God will do? He will take over all the camouflage and he will point out to you there. How did you write this? Lord, all my wisdom gone. And if he's an unbeliever, he will get away with it. But if you're a believer, God will catch you. You know why? Because God is looking for sincere people. Sincerity of heart. That is the fourth, third, fourth law. Third law? Fourth law. Fourth law, okay? Fourth law. With sincerity. That is the law of God. When you come to the altar. Then, and if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it out of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Don't try to worship me with your human ingenuity. I know most of the services, sometimes worship worship services, I visited in some churches, is a light and show, song and dance. And what happens? Nor shall you go my steps, go by the steps to my altar that your nakedness may be exposed. Uh, there are several, I'm, I'm not going to get into the actual meaning, I just want to make a state, uh, observation over here. Nabil Qureshi wrote a book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. You know that, right? This is autobiography. In that book, he mentions that during the course of his, uh, you know, his debates with David Wood, David Wood invited him to a church. He was still a Muslim then. He was still considering. He goes to church, and it's a kind of a very uh, interdenominational church, and and the worship starts, and you have the drums, you have the guitar, and you had these girls in tight t-shirts right on the stage, just raising their hands, and he looked at that. He was a Muslim, still. And you know what he looked at, and he said, you know what? In our mosques, our women don't dress like this. Can you imagine that? Our women don't dress like this. They stay covered. Why are these Christians showing off like this? Showing off their nakedness. Man, it's really sad. You know, I was mentioning in one of the Bible studies. Choreographies, you know, a lot of churches, they go you to go to any youth meeting, there will be a choreography. I don't know why they do choreography. And it's a such a pathetic job they do, choreography. If I really want to see a choreography, I don't want to go to a church, I will go to a movie theater, I'll get a better choreography. And uh, this choreography starts off, you know what you should do? If you are a boy or a man, you will hang your head like this. You don't want to see anything on stage. What's going on? All girls. Swaying off. So I was telling the telling in one of the meetings, you know, after that they didn't invite me. Of course, that's a different ballgame altogether. That's a different. Okay, say so, so I said, you know, I see choreography. For the first time I talk about I see choreography in the Bible. It's Salome dancing in front of Sir Herod. Okay. That was the only choreography I know in the Bible. She did a lot of choreography and after that one head came out. See? That's choreography. Showing off their nakedness. The way they dress. This, that is what we call as simplicity, sincerity. You come to the altar, boss, Understand that you are serving and worshipping a holy God. That is the reason why Peter says, women, I mean, uh, I think Titus, let there be shamefacedness in their dressing. (laughs) What a beautiful word. Shamefacedness.
Don't try to profane. Actually, here in this context is that, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar. Meaning, don't put steps. Meaning, you don't reach out to God. Who reaches out to you first? God reaches out to you. Otherwise, you'll expose your nakedness. Don't try to reach out to God. God has to reach out to you. You stay on your face before God. That is exactly what David did. He went to the house of God, prostrated before God, on his face before God, not trying to show anything else. That is humility. Absolute humility. Matthew chapter 15. Otherwise, you know, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they what? Worship me. In that verse, in the, in the translation it says, in, their, in vain do they fear me. You see that? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Sincerity. You know, this word worship is a very interesting word in the Bible. I'll, I'll come to that later, but um, let me explain to you. There are two kinds of worship in the Bible. Two Greek words used. One is letria and the other is proskaneo. Proskaneo means be prostrate before somebody or showing reverence by kissing his hand. How do you show reverence by kissing his hand? Oh, you are my Lord. Kiss his hand. Or in a college or a university setting, the moment the professor enters into the class, what happens? Everybody stands up. That is what we call as proskaneo. You're honoring the presence of somebody who is above you. Okay, that is what we call as proskaneo. Somebody you're showing off honor and 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 saying that you are important. Okay, but there is another word also. The word is letria. You know what letria is? Letria is once the professor leaves the leaves the class, what you do with the subject. That is another worship. You see, I remember when I was in university, I was being trained by the director of the university for a particular course, one of the most challenging courses in reply because it's a first year course. It's not challenging in terms of its content, but challenging because you have to handle a huge class. Okay, 250 students, freshman year course. So divided into two groups, divided and rule, 125-125. Okay, so every time I used to, I first time I entered into the class, I was like a bacha, okay. And nobody, they, they looked at me and they were... They're giggling and laughing and etc. I also sat there, um, right quietly at the, I didn't say who I was because I was a trainee, right? And the professor walks in, everybody stood, stands up. And he says, um, Vijay and I will be teaching the course. They look at me like that now. Okay, suddenly my presence was felt there, no? Okay, and they said, looked at me and the next class I came into the class, everybody stood up. Okay, I was, I was not, Teaching, I was still sitting behind and was listening to how my professor was teaching. I was going through training that time. And then what happened? One day, professor entered. Everybody stood. Now, it, after a while, this standing becomes a little redundant. Okay. And the professor looked at the students and he said, Don't show me respect by just standing. Show me respect by learning the subject. You see, that is Latria. Even the mafia don will have people kissing his hand because they know he will shoot him. You are my Lord. Godfather, be my friend. You know that story, right? Mario Puzo. Godfather, be my friend because he's scared of him. But after he goes out, will he be devoted to him? No, 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 no. Devotion is different. 
Worship is when you leave the presence of the church. No, if if you if I see you and you really honor God and you're worshiping, you fall prostrate on the, in the church and you say, Lord, I worship you. Oh, this man really fears the Lord. Or this girl really fears the Lord. And I leave the church and I come back after a while, you still say prostrated. Oh, he really fears the Lord. And to prove that, that you fear the Lord, will you stay prostrated all your life? No. You go out and do something about it. You see, you understand that. See, people want to be respected when you are not around. See, I want my students to respect me when I'm not around them. Hey, prof, they should remember me. That is the kind of respect that, that is the reason why, you know, Paul says, be obedient, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. That is when I really, really know that you worship me. Otherwise, it's all pretense. <laughs> See, hypocrites. So the first thing is the altar. What is later after the altar? You have the sacrifice. Let's look at the sacrifice. What was offered that day in Ezra chapter 3? What was offered was a burnt offering. What offering? Burnt offering. How was it offered? According to the law of God or law of Moses, the man of God. When was it offered? Morning and evening continually. What kind of an offering was it? It was a burnt offering. So look at what burnt offering means. What is this burnt offering business? So the first offering, if you go to the book of Leviticus and you read the entire account of the book of Leviticus, you have burnt offerings of four kinds. Uh, three kinds maybe, depending upon your economic status. If you are a very rich man, you should bring a bull without blemish. If you are not so rich man, you should bring a goat or a lamb without blemish. If you are really poor, bring a turtle dove. But in all these offerings, there is one thing that you have to do. Look at what you have to do. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let who offer? Him. He should come individually. Him offer a male without blemish. It has to be perfect. It has to be the best in your in your flock. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for sin. That means you are coming to Lord. Whenever you are offering something, you are saying, Lord, I am not coming on my own righteousness. I am coming because I know and I realize that I am a sinner. Second, he shall kill the bull before the Lord. If you are very rich, you should get a bull and you ought to kill it. Imagine this. Can you kill an animal? Forget about animal. Can you kill a chicken? Forget about chicken. Can you see an animal dying? You know, there is a tea shop next to the church office. I go there and I have lemon tea regularly, okay? I'm not going there for cigarette. I'm going there for tea. Okay, just because you see me, don't say, Pastor Vijay, oh, you're the... No, 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 okay. I'm just going for my lemon tea. Okay, lemon tea with honey, I like it. And he does it, he makes it well. I was there and there was a small puppy on the, on the, on the road, okay? Just maybe a few weeks old. And then there was this car which came. Puppy is there and just ran over the puppy like that. And that thing started to screech. I mean, you should imagine. I looked, I looked at it and I said, oh my goodness. Oof. Just to see an animal getting crushed under the wheel. Now think about this. 
This fellow has to take a bull. Take a knife. Tie it down. Chop its head. Shed its blood. All with his own hands. Everybody is silent. Imagine that. You know what that tells me is this. That man has to intimately know something. Whenever he sins and goes astray from God, something innocent has to pay the price for his sin. Salvation is free for us, but it was at a great cost for God. You know, you need to understand this burnt offering. We'll come back to it when Abraham offers what kind of an offering of Isaac? A burnt offering. You know, think about it, no? Emmanuel is not here. I mean, I can't forget that incident in my life. Okay, that was the day. Genesis 22 was my re- daily reading. Okay, daily reading. Uh, by the way, in a, Emmanuel has swallowed a coin. You know that, right? Everybody knows that story. Emmanuel has swallowed a coin and we were expecting and we were doing poop analysis every day, but it was not coming out. It stayed there. So we had to take her to the doctor and the doctor looked at the thing and she said, you have to do an endoscopy. I mean, he didn't tell us that. He said, no, we will do examinations. We'll do and just to put us at ease. No, wait till 2.30, we'll do another examination and we will just, I'll give you laxatives and it'll come out. So we were hoping that it was only going to be laxative. And suddenly the nurse comes and says, we have to do an endoscopy. Pay so and so. I said, what? Oh no, we are just going to see if the, uh, if the coin is there. That's what the doctor will say. And the nurse will come and say, sir, uh, we could also make, uh, make do a foreign body removal thing also. Uh, you have to keep this money also ready. I said, he was totally taken by surprise. No? And we took her into the room and put her on that table. Her food didn't get digested completely, so we can't give her anesthesia. And... And I was asking the doctor, doctor, will it pain her? It will it pain? Will it pain? And he said, yeah, a little. You go out. I'll take care of this. A little, little pain. And I was like, my goodness. And you know, Justin and I were standing outside and we could hear a screech. That's it. A sword went through both of our hearts. And I was like thinking about it as I came back home and I was telling pastor, pastor, today's daily reading, you know what was Genesis chapter 22. Abraham had to take Isaac on the altar. Time up. Time up. Raise the knife. It has to be a burnt offering. You know how the burnt offering is done? Look at this. He should kill it. He should bring the blood. You should collect the blood and bring it. Can you imagine handling blood like that? You have to imagine this, my dear brothers and sisters. Okay, next time you go to a chicken shop, imagine this. Don't become like that butcher. Chicken? No, don't do that. Understand what's going on over there. Everything is a parable for us. Okay, and then he has to bring the blood, he will sprinkle the blood and and he shall take the skin of the burnt offering. He has to do with his hands. You know what? He has to experience the penalty of his sin. He has to experience that. You know, that is when tears will come down your eyes. Mother was crying. Sister was crying. Father almost crying, but he can't cry. 
need to understand. Now think about that. Forget about Abraham and Isaac. He was let go. Think about God. He allowed his son to be slaughtered. And we take that lightly. And you know what he does? Look at this. This is, this is just not, and he has, he shall take the skin and cut it into pieces. Tuck, 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 tuck. Have you seen a chicken being cut into pieces? One muscle will be moving like this. You cut that muscle, that leg will be moving like that. And you said, I'm going to eat that? That is the reason my wife is very wise. You do the marination, I'll do the cooking. Thanks. Because we don't like that, right? See, that is the reason why the cross is an offense to us. Because you know what? It tells us that we are all sinners. We don't like that. We don't like it. But somebody has to take the penalty for my sin. And you know what he has to do? He has to take the skin, cut it into pieces. The sons of the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar, lay the wood in the order of the, on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all the all everything. You see, all over there, all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Meaning what? It has to be completely given to God. You know, there are many sacrifices where the priests and the guys who offer it also eat. For example, there are some other sacrifices. The priest will think, what did you get? Bull, are I'm going to get a leg today. <laughs> leg. And even while they are slaughtering the animal, they are getting saliva in their mouths. No, this is not that kind of an offering. Everything has to go. Completely. Nothing is left. That is how Jesus gave himself. Completely. Completely. Nothing is left. And then God looked at it and said, I'm pleased. So they offered what? Burnt offerings. The animal is an animal without blemish. You have to sacrifice it. Sacrifice it. Priest will sprinkle the blood and make atonement. And you know what? Many of you are looking at him and say, how primitive. (laughs) How savage. We are all modern people. We don't do such things. You don't know holy God. You don't know holy God. Priest will sprinkle the blood and make atonement. You have to cut it into pieces. You have to feel Offer everything completely on the altar. Burnt up completely. So if God has done this to you, what should you give to God? What should you give to God? Everything. Completely. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service and act of worship. And this is the word, worship, latria. Every aspect of your life has to be an act of worship. Every aspect. Think about it. Your studies as an act of worship. What are you doing? Worshipping. It's true. Work is worship if you're working unto the Lord. If you do, if you're studying, you're studying unto the Lord. If you're a doctor, you're a doctor unto the Lord. If you're a researcher, researcher unto the Lord. If you're a software engineer, a software engineer unto the Lord. Everything is worship. It's sanctified now. 
every aspect of your body. If God has offered every part as peace, peace, what you should do, what should you do? Every member of your body, you should offer to God as what? Instruments of righteousness. That's what it says in Romans chapter 6. But God be thanked that though you were once slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you have been delivered. First thing you need to hear, give the ear, brothers and sisters. Give your ear to God. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. And most errors happen in our life because we haven't, we haven't listened to God's conditions and God's commandments. But God be thanked that though you were once slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, what are your members? Your ears, your eyes, your tongue, your nose, your hands, your feet, every part of your body. Body for the Lord, Lord for the body. As slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness to lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness to holiness. Every part, especially your your tongue. Thank you. Somebody said tongue. You know, one man of God says this. He says, many Christians spread gossip more than gospel. Which is true. Sad. They spread gossip more than the gospel. Through their tongue. How is your tongue today? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know something, some, when, when I hear conversations, nothing is good in my life, nothing, nothing. You know, you keep keep on speaking like that, that will exactly be, you know, there is tadastu, upar. Tadastu. It is not tadastu devatalu, but God himself will say tadastu. Finished. Nothing good, nothing. The worst parents, the worst husband, worst children, worst everything. You keep on speaking like that, that's exactly what you'll get. How is, how's your tongue doing today? My man, think about it, no? How do you speak? Have you said, Lord, all the things that I've said, have you repented of it, first of all? You know, we do, we repent of the things that we have done. But we don't repent of the things that we have said. See, Do you realize that you need a savior? Do you realize the enormity of your crime? Do you realize that if God did not die on the cross, you would have been condemned to eternity without God? To hell? Do you realize that? There's a famous uh, British journalist. His name is Malcolm Muggeridge. I'm, I'm sure some of you know him. He wrote his biography. He was an atheist before. Atheist and he was posted to, he was working for the BBC if I'm right. And he was posted to Russia as a journalist. An atheist from a Christian country goes to an atheistic country and he looks at the situation and he says, what is going on over here? And it really impacts his life. He comes back, he's still not converted and then later on he's posted to India. I'm not sure if it was post-independence or pre-independence. This is what happens to him. Okay, This is his conversion story. This is what happens to him. He's having a bath in a river. I mean, he's having a swim in a river. Okay. After swimming, I mean, for a while, he just gets up from the waters and he looks across the banks and he looks at one lady, I mean, about at least, maybe about uh, half a kilometer or 300 meters from his place, bathing, completely oblivious that he was watching her. 
and he looks at her and he wants to somehow enjoy her. So what does he do? He dives into the water, swims underwater and he reaches that lady. The lady is not aware that there is a man around. And he comes out of the water and he looks at the lady and he has a shock of his life. This lady doesn't have a nose. This lady doesn't have fingers. This lady, her body is marred with all kinds of bruises. She's a leper. And he looks at her and you know what he writes? At that instant for the very first time in my life, I was exposed to the leprosy in my own heart. Exposed to the leprosy in my own heart. Do you know? Do you know the kind of words that we use sometimes? You know, we went to the leper colony and we look at that colony and say, Yo, Papam. You know, when God looks at our heart, He says, Ayo, Papam. Leprous. My dear brothers and sisters, how's your tongue? One member. That's enough. Tongue is the member which directs every, every other member of your life. Look at what it says in James chapter 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and they, that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. A little member. Offer that today to God. Ask God every day. It's not, this is not just today. Every day of my life, Lord, if I can't pray properly, if you are given the gift of tongues, boy, you are given a fantastic gift. Exercise it this year. Continue to speak in tongues, if you can. Constantly. It's a fantastic gift. What a gift to have. All negatives will keep coming. Just keep speaking in tongues. Spirit intercedes through you. Give the tongue to the Lord. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost. You know, the first member, the fire fell when they offered themselves for 10 days, when they were in one accord on that day as a sacrifice to God in that room, on the upper room, they were offering their bodies. The first part the Holy Spirit touched with fire was their tongue, took hold of their tongue. You know what? When you actually experience the gift of tongues, you will feel somebody holding your tongue. Do you know that? You know, some people who were given the gift of tongues, you know what I'm talking about. This is all subjective, okay? <sighs> Indeed, we put... So, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. It's interesting. You you start... We were playing Chinese whisper. I was teaching the Sunday school the other day. I had a bunch of 10 students. And, you know, after a while, teacher uh, students' attention span is gone. So, I said, let us play Chinese whisper. Abigail, come here. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. Born again. Born again. Something changed off there. And it came around like that. This is by experience. It's all experiments. You know, because I'm in a lab, I want to see if these theories work in real life. And by the time, what did I say? Gibberish. That was tongues. That's how it goes. With a Bible in our hand 
and some things else in our mouth. You see? Tongue. So, this year, offer your bodies, offer your tongue. So you have the altar, then you have the sacrifice. That is how. And I'm going to look at one example. A man whose life was full of altars. Not A-L-T-E-R-S. No, no. A-L-T-A-R-S. Sister Elsa knows the meaning. She's laughing. <laughs> no, a lot of people are alternates. They are very good at school. Once they go home, they are alternate. That is an alter personality. That is not the alter. Okay. So let us look at one man. A man whose life was full of altars. Abraham. Very famous. He'll look at his life. Learn some lessons. How he always came back to the altar. Where he could meet God. Or how God drew him towards the altar. Like we heard the poem in the morning. The story in the morning. God drew him to the altar every time. First God meets him in Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember that? Does he go? Yes, he goes. But along with whom? His father. Father dies. And then after father dies, mother cries. He goes. And then with God meets him again at, at the, in the promised land. Again, and then he calls him, leave your father's house. And this is what he promises to him in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Teberin tree, Terebin tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were there in the land. This is after God promises and I'll bless you, etc. Okay. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And what did he do? And there he built an altar. And what do you have on the, on the altar by default? A sacrifice. What is he saying, Lord? What am I, Lord? You know what Shechem means? Shechem means shoulder. What does the shoulder do? It cares your, takes your burden. More means what? Teacher. What does it say in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all you labor and are heavy burden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn of me. I'll become your teacher. Think about it. Think about going to an examination, mathematics examination with your mathematics teacher. Beside you. Easy peasy, Japanesey. Right? Can you imagine? She's laughing. Can you imagine? Burden gone. All I have to do is write the exam. You wouldn't believe me, okay? I know my friend Ajay. My wife also knows him, okay? Very average student, okay? Comes from a Telugu medium background. Uh, he graduated from an arbitrary engineering college. Okay. He used to struggle with his engineering subjects. You know, he said, Lord, struggling Lord. And you know what happened to him? When he used to go to the exam, he used to, lit- he used to literally feel the Lord taking his hand and writing the exam for him. And you wouldn't believe it. He finished his BTEC, finished his master's from HCU in embedded systems with a gold medal. And now he's serving the Lord full time. Justin met him. Ajay. You see? I mean, I was, whenever I look at this, I say, you know what, this is exactly the, the image that comes to my mind. Think about a guy who, whom you can take with you to your office. 
Very difficult process to learn. I'm there. Cast your burdens. Let's finish it off. Can you imagine? That's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, you know what? Come to me. Build an altar there. Put all your cares, worries, etc. over here. Take my burden. Learn of me. That's the first altar. Altar of what we call as repentance. What is that? Repentance. Repent every day of your life. Ask God, Lord, grant me this gift of repentance. That where I'll repent of my sins. I will not hide. Then he moves from there. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west. And I to the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. And called on the name of the Lord. See, this is the life of Abraham. He pitched a tent. He built an altar. He passed through. He journeyed. He called upon the Lord. He never stayed at one place. Why was he doing this? He looked for a city whose foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What was he doing? Tent, altar, passed through, journey, called upon. Tent, altar, passed through, journey, called upon. That's his life. That, and we are all like that. We have no dwelling place over here, Baba. And where did he build an altar? Between Bethel and I. Bethel means what? House of God. Bethel on the west and I on the east. I means what? A heap of ruins. What does Bethel stand for? The house of God. Church. What does I stand for? The world. Okay, so I just put a graphic here. That's your altar. Your Bethel. You have I. It's a heap of ruins. I mean, you go to your, uh, nowadays you go to Wave Rock. ICICI. Infosys. CA. Capgemini. Heap of ruins? Nonsense, you'll say. Now metro is also coming. Of course, they're making a heap of ruins to build a metro. That's a different thing. But eventually, when the metro, once the metro comes, it's psh, beautiful place. America la I mean, you go to the metro, you, that experience is the experience, the kind of experience that I had in Chicago, the kind of experience I had in San Francisco, the kind of experience I had in New York, the kind of experience I had in Toronto and in Montreal. Enjoying in Hyderabad now. In the metro. Cheaper. I used to pay two dollars fifty cents for one ride. Now, fifty rupees, forty-five rupees. Salarjang Museum. And I look at it. Do you walk through your workplace and look at it as a heap of ruins, or a place to settle down? In Iflu. <laughs> oh Lord, it looks so beautiful. The university, heap of ruins. You know, Pastor James. No, once we took him to the to the high-tech city. I said, Pastor, Inorbit Mall, Pastor. One of the biggest malls. Yeah, I'm scared. Monday, everything will get destroyed. <laughs> Heap of ruins. So, how should your life be? First, go to Bethel. Hear from God. Hear the message. Then what do you do? Go back to the altar. Judge your heart. Then what do you do? Go to the world. After you go to the world, what will happen? Something you will hear. Some word you will say. You are perfect too. 
you know, there was a very interesting uh, <laughs> conversation one man of God was having with a guy in the bus. He was a Brahmin who teaches uh, Sanatana Dharma and uh, yoga and all these things. So, and he says, uh, and so this man of God asked him, in the course of the conversation, uh, Sir, uh, what should you do to gain eternal life? Kama Kroda Madhamatsaral. Okay. If you have Niyantran on all these things, you will have Moksha. Oh. I see. That means, on Kamam, pleasure, Krodam, anger, Madham, fighting, and matsaram, whatever that means. Okay. If you have, if you have niyantran on all these things, you will go to, you will have moksha. And the man of God said, oh, fantastic. Sure. I agree with you. Then, uh, after the koruk, he didn't want to put the question immediately because he'll feel bad. No. So he did some small talk and after the small talk was over, uh, he asked him, uh, sir, just in case we meet with an accident now and we all die, you die, I die. Uh, do you have the guarantee that you will gain moksha? And he looked at him and he said, in Telugu English, you would perfect too. You would perfect too. Who's perfect? Can you imagine that? I mean, he knows it. But he has still not come to the cross. That's what we do. We go to the world, we are not going to stay in the church all the time and become laughing Buddha with a, with a spiritual pot belly. That is what we call ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth. Okay, This is what we call as work-life balance. <laughs> with the altar in the middle. So what do we do? We go to the world because we are sent to the world. God says, I am going to send you to the world. I am not going to put you in the church and give you a happy gala time and one day rapture, you know, send you to the world. We go to the world, we get our feet dirty, you know. Yes, sure, everybody gets our feet dirty. What do, you, what do you do then? Come back to the altar. That should be our life. That is Abraham's life. That is how we maintained balance. Balance me chalake aata. One day, testing came. What happened? Balance. What is the testing, Baba? Now there was famine in the land. Famine means bank balance over. That is famine for us. Because we don't... <laughs> Everybody is laughing, okay? Everybody's story, no? Bank balance zero. Um, mine is salary account. You know what a salary account is. Okay, okay so bank balance... She is laughing. <laughs> Bankers are laughing. Alright. All so bank balance zero means famine. Whenever famine strikes, what will you do? Where will you compromise? Tithe. No. Giving will go. And balance will bend. This is what happens. What should you do then? This fellow went to Egypt and compromised. Called his wife his sister. And became rich. With a lot of wealth. What should you do? You know what you should do? Run back double to Bethel. You know, have you seen Seesaw? 
If the other guy is bending, what do you do? Press. And uh, Abigail and Emmanuel played, no? And Emmanuel is sukudi. Which she wasn't like lakadi. Not lakadi, lakadi. Okay. Papa, press, press. Seesaw. That's what happens. Balance is gone. So what should you do? And let us consider one another to stir up. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another in order to stir up for love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is, because trip has happened, Baba. Deadlines have come. Project deadline, paper deadline, thesis deadline. Otherwise, no stipend. But exhorting one another daily, so much the more. Now you, you see the day approaching. But you know what he did? He messed up. Balance tripped. And he compromised. So what does he do? It doesn't mean that he will never fall. You know what he does? Look at the next verse. Genesis chapter 13. And Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. Does it matter? No. And he went on his journey from south, from the south, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between what? Bethel and I. To the place of the altar. Back to the place of the altar. Back to God. Setting right things with God. That is where you start again. Go back to your basics. Go back to your drawing board. And set your heart right with God again. Back to the altar. The place of the altar. I mean, this man just gives me <laughs> what lessons this man in the old covenant had. Nothing. Back to the altar. He says, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I messed up. He comes back to the altar, sets his life in order. What happens? Balances. Restored again. Let's move on. The next altar that he builds. Genesis 13. And Lord said to Abraham, After Lot had separated from him. This is after strife comes into his life. The next test. Lift up your eyes. Now, look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the sea. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width. For I will give to you. And what, it, what does he do? Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt in the terebinth of the trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar. Hallelujah. What does altar signify again? Slaughter, sacrifice. What does he do now? What does this mean? If God has promised something in your life, nobody can steal it from you. And God will allow strife to come. For sure, strife will come. If people have stolen your ideas, hmm, in your workplace, he stole my idea. Don't worry. Don't worry about people stealing your ideas. Don't put plagiarism, law, etc. Nothing, nothing. Don't do that. Copyright law and ask for whatever. No? What is it called? Nashta Pariharam. Yeah, compensation. Don't. Just leave it. In due time, God will bless you. You know what God is going to do to you now? He is going to enlarge your territory. You know what Mamre means? Fatness. Hebrews means 
unhindered fellowship. You deal with strife in your heart. You know what God will bless you with? He will bless you with fatness and unhindered fellowship. Mamre means fatness, strength and vigor. Hebron means fellowship with God. So, what do we do in the new covenant therefore? Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of the others. And I read the prayer request and I see somebody was writing, I don't know, remember, I don't remember who. Lord, I want my life to be for others. I don't want to focus on myself. You know what God says? Forget about yourself. Build an altar. Take away strife from your heart. Deal with it with an iron fist. And of course, now we come to the final altar. Till this time, what's his name? Abram. Now, name change. He's become doctor now. Okay. Abraham, that is. Okay. That's what I just told you, sister Elsa. Sister Elsa, two more months. Title change. From Vijay Takotam to whatever. <laughs> the two more months never happened, Baba. <laughs> Several years. <laughs> okay, Genesis chapter 22. Now it came to pass, after these things, God, Abraham. You know what this word tested in the, in the Telugu is? Parishodhinchadu. Parishodhana means research. He researched Abraham. And look at the words he uses. Abraham! Here I am. Take now your son. Okay. Oh, son. Your only son, Isaac. Whom you love. Very specific. Zeroed in on. Specifically. Go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains which I will show you. What offering? Can you imagine? How did we start? The altar and the offering. What kind of an offering was it? A burnt offering. In other words, what should you do to Isaac? Not just kill him. Slaughter him. Cut him into pieces and offer him up. Can you imagine what is going through Abraham? Now one theologian made a very interesting observation. If Abraham would have heard, Abraham, take now your wife. Your only wife. Because Hagar also you have, no? Whom you love. If you would have heard that, Abraham would have discerned something very interesting. He said, that is not God. He would have known that. Abraham realized something very interesting over here. He said, he heard from God very clearly. He knew that he was going to enact Calvary. You see, look at the Passover, right? Passover. Remember Passover? Every house, somebody died. Who died? Either firstborn died or a lamb died. Why? Because they were all acknowledging that they were sinners and somebody had to atone for their sin. Okay. Now, who's Abraham's firstborn? Not Isaac, not Ishmael, but Isaac. God gave him. 
And he understood that. He was an acting Calvary. He understood that he had to make atonement for his sin. He didn't argue with God. Because he knew that he was a sinner. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. Split the wood for burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Which day? Third day. When did he hear from God? The first day. When did he kill Isaac? In his heart? The first day. When is he going to receive Isaac back again? Third day. He was an acting Calvary. So Abraham said, I'll tell you why this is so interesting. You know, we celebrate Good Friday. There's no Good Friday. And Resurrection Sunday. Hmm? Okay. Uh, some One man of God, I think it was David Pawson, who was asked to come and do a series on Lent about the death of cross of, of Jesus on the cross. He said, okay, I'm going to come. Five series on Lent. He said, yeah, five series on Lent I will do. Uh, he, the, 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 the person who, who invited him said, can you give me the titles of the message? He said, sure. Uh, title number one, Genesis. Title number two, Exodus. Title number three, Leviticus. Title number four, Numbers. Title number five, Deuteronomy. Oh, no, no, sir, I wanted the title of the message. Yeah, yeah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Abraham, Exodus, Passover, Leviticus, Day of Atonement, Numbers, Deuteronomy, do your homework. Okay. Everything is about Jesus. Okay. They were enacting Jesus. So, Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad I will go, I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. We will come back to you. We will come back to you. He's not lying. So Abraham uh, took the wood of the burnt for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. So God spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said to him, Here I am, my son. Look, the fire, the wood. The, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? God's, Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And you know that, right? God stops Abraham and this is what he says. Then Abraham lifted his eyes, looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the name of the place, what? The Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, which is nothing but Yehovah Jireh. What does it teach me? What does this teach me? Simple. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not with him freely give us all things. You know why the altar is important? At the altar, you say, Lord, nothing is working for me, but I know, Lord Jesus, you will provide everything that I need at the altar. Everything that I need. Everything. And therefore, there is no fear. 
You know, yesterday, pastor was talking about fear to the pastor's conference. He says, many of us fear death. They are bound by the fear of death. But there's only departure. You depart here, you arrive there. God provided everything in his son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Therefore, Romans chapter 8, verse 34 will say, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, he is also risen. Who's, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, through him who loved us. This morning, that is what the altar signifies. Build your altar, my dear brothers and sisters. That is where you come back to every day of your life. Every day. Don't forget your altar, your appointment with God. Early in the morning, whatever time God gives you, the best of your life offered to God. Do it consistently and you will see the changes happening in your own life. It's for sure God will work through you. That is how you come back to, that is where you come back to. Come back to God. Come back to God this morning. For I'm, as, I'm persuaded, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That is what he understood Abraham. And finally at the altar. You know what he's called now? He's called the friend of God. You know why? Jesus looks at him and he says, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Because you did not withhold your only son from me. You fear me now. This morning, I'm going to finish. I spoke what I'm supposed to speak. Many of us don't even have a concept of altar. No altar. And that is the reason why you are forever defeated. There's no assurance of salvation in your life. You know why? Because you don't have an altar. You don't have a consistent prayer life. We don't have a consistent word life. And we are not consistent in the things of God. And there's always imbalance. And this morning, these are simple things, very simple. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Simple. Separate yourself, read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow. They ask Karl Barth, the greatest, greatest theologian. The greatest theologian. One of the greatest theologians. They ask Karl Barth, of all, in all these years, what is the one thing you learned from all your theology about God? You know what he said? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Simple. Nobody can love me like Jesus loves me. And because he loved me, everything that I have belongs to him. Come and build your altar this morning. This morning, can we all stand up in the presence of God? And I would just encourage the worship team to come and maybe just lead us in one song. We can sing that song. You came from heaven to earth to show us the way. We'll sing that. Lord, we lift your name on high. Rishi and Abel, if you can come and lead us. Whatever the song the Lord puts you in your heart, it doesn't have to be that. Any that's any song. This morning, see, if we don't have altars, we can always start. That's the difference between Saul and David. Altar. That's the difference between Lot and 
Abraham altar. That makes a difference. Just not, it's just not because Abraham was better than Lot. No. But Abraham learned to put God first and offered everything on the altar. And he went his best. It didn't happen in one day. It happened progressively. But we have to start somewhere. So you could start today. You could start today. Lord, one life, Lord. One life. All that I have, I want to give it to you. Let's sing. this morning. You could be at Shechem. Whatever, where, whichever place you are in the Lord. But let there be always an altar that you can come back to. Some of us are still you can't escape these altars. You have to have the altar of repentance every day of your life. Every day. These are all symbols in the Bible. Where you set your life right with God. And let this be the year wherein you will not procrastinate your repentance. You will not say, tomorrow. Tomorrow may not be guaranteed. Tomorrow, Lord, I will ask for forgiveness from my wife. Tomorrow, let this be the day. Let Don't prolong, don't prolong. Come early. Set things right with God. Because there's no time, my dear brothers and sisters. There's no time. The work is so much to be done. But it all starts at the altar. Where you want to meet with God. 
It was at the altar that God met Jacob. He saw the heavens open and angels of God descending and ascending. The men of God were characterized by altars. Where they met God, where they came back to, where they just said, Lord, I come back to you. I might just hug you. This morning, come back to God like that little bunny in the story who came back to the arms of her mother. It says in the book of Psalms that even a bird finds its refuge in the altar of God. If God cares so much for the birds of the air, how much more will he care for you and I? Are we not worth more than sparrows? Come back this morning. Come back. Come back. Come back. Some sister, some brother here this morning, set your heart right with God. Say, Lord, I don't want to... I don't want to procrastinate, Lord. I just want to set it right now. If I have to ask for forgiveness, I will ask for forgiveness now. I will repent of my sin now. Lord, I will, Lord, if I have wasted my time doing stupid things, oh Lord, I will build my altars now. I want to come back to those altars, oh Lord. I want to be a, known as a man of altars. I want to build those altars. That's exactly what Elijah did before he sacrificed the calf. You know what he did? He repaired the altar of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. He repaired the altar of the Lord and he took 12 stones built. Before that he asked a question to the people. He said, how long will you vacillate between two opinions? If Jehovah is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. Make up your mind this morning, my dear brothers and sisters. And I hope you make make up your mind toward God this morning. Let the, let the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of repentance sweep this congregation this morning. Father, enable us to come back to that place, O oh Lord. And Lord, you offered up everything, O oh Lord. You offered up everything, every part. You said, a body was prepared for me. And if you have given yourself your, give your, give your, give your, give your body as, as an offering for us. What can, what else can we give a Lord? Our bodies back. Not because we want to attain, make atonement for our sin, because you have already made an atonement for our sin. Oh Jesus, Lord. We want to go without the gates, bearing the reproach of our Christ, our Master. We want to come back to you this morning. Lord, I want to pray. I pray, Father, for all of us, O oh Lord. Father, years have passed, O oh Lord, Father, in our lives without altars. No personal altars, no family altars. And because of that, there was a life of pretense. But Lord, in your patience, O oh Lord, you tolerated us, O oh Lord. You tolerated our indulgence. You tolerated our pretense. But this morning, O oh Lord, you are giving us a call to come back to those altars. If we don't have one, enable us to build one today, O oh Lord. Today, today, O oh Lord. An altar we will meet, we will meet with God. And God will meet with us. An altar made on your terms, according to your word. Not a figment of our own imagination. Grant us grace, O oh Lord Jesus, to that end. I pray, Father, for all your people. Let this be the year of building altars. 
an altar of prayer. That our, our lives, oh Lord, will be put on the altar and we will not take it back. Everything as a living sacrifice on the altar. A letria for our God. Not merely proskaneo. Grant us grace. Thank you, Father. Father, enable us to position ourselves this year to receive the double portion of your anointing. Every one of us, Lord, in our giftings and our callings, where you have placed us, enable us to be found faithful, building our altars. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we praise you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us and enable us to build our altars through this week. In Jesus' name.